You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Groon, and I am a pastoral resident at Emmaus Road Church. Uh, for about when this airs 48 hours more, <laughs> we do have your ordination service it, this Sunday Lord willing, as we sit here recording this. Unless the Lord tarries. That if, if, if so, so long tar- as he does tarry, it will happen <laughs> if he uh, hastens back sooner. Hey, I, we're just trying to stay, stick to protocol here. Right? Don't mess with the flow, well, all right? You'll be uh, an ordained Sovereign Grace pastor on Sunday, which is a huge accomplishment. So well, maybe one of the only things I will change is that, that the line. intro to the... Yeah. Okay, sorry. I interrupted you. Let's carry on. This is another episode of Make and Multiply, and my name is still Matt Groon, and I'm for now still a pastoral resident at Emmaus Road Church, and I'm joined again, as always, with Ryan Chase, who is the pastor and elder at Emmaus. And uh, this week, we're going to be diving back into the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith um, I, think, I just think it's important every time to reiterate why we do this. Um, the Sovereign Grace Statement of Faith, the Sovereign Grace Churches is our family of churches, our denomination. And this Statement of Faith passed in uh, November of 2020 is our confessional document. It's the thing uh, I've signed my name to as, we, uh, as, a, as an elder coming up yeah. and being you'll make, ordained. You'll make vows on Sunday to exactly. hold to this. And- I will defend this document I, in both public and private and, and all the rest. So this is the thing that we, it's like the, our constitution. This mm-hmm. is what governs us as we trust that this has been, um, is being governed by scripture. Yeah. Um, just like the constitution, if, if there can be changes to a statement of faith, but those take big processes, big amendments. Mm-hmm. Um, so as it is, we're thrilled and we happily um, confess this statement. So we've been walking through these uh, various headings and um, this next section is God's sovereign pur- purposes. So we just before have done the, the triune God and are kind of coming up on um, his creation and providence and mankind, anthropology, if you will. Uh, but the statement does something a little unique here by introducing a category in between there on God's sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think going, just looking at it and knowing the questions that are going to arise out of stuff like this and just the, the, the nature of the topic, uh, I, I think we're going to take this in two parts. Um, I think that's the only way to, and helpfully, this section is broken up into two parts. One, God ordains all things for his glory, and two, God's grace in election. So today, we will just tackle that first heading, God's, God ordains all things for his glory, and that is enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that is a rich place to dwell. Yeah. And I think it's worth us diving into it and just kind of isolating and talking about these two things because these are distinguishing features for us as a, as a church, as a body of churches, and as a tradition. These, these are the type of doctrines that set us apart into more of the quote-unquote reformed tradition um, that distinguish us from other. So, for instance, we might practice uh, the mode and everything of baptism with other Baptist churches, mm-hmm. so we have that in common. 
but we all we would disagree likely on um, things like this, these mm-hmm. doctrines of grace. And we, while we might share this with other big Reformed churches or Presbyterians, we practice baptism dis- differently. Yeah. So these, are, these distinctives are important because they are the type of thing that draw lines. Yeah. Um, and, and Baptists, you know, there are a lot of Baptists who would hold to these views of the sovereignty of God, God's grace in election, yeah. um, London Baptist Confession. But we would differ, like in our polity, right. there where Baptist churches would be more congregational, and right. we have elders. So that's kind of getting down in the weeds. But yeah, helpful to clarify. Yes, these are important. Where and, this uh, locates us. Yes, exactly. So I'm going to go ahead and just read this first section, and then we'll we'll dive in, and yes. see see what comes Let's do out. It. So under God's sovereign purposes, subheading God ordains all things for His glory. The statement reads: From all eternity. God sovereignly ordained all that exists and all that occurs in his creation in order to display the fullness of his glory. God's plans are efficacious, always coming to pass, and they are universal, encompassing all the affairs of nature, history, and individual lives. These decrees are an exercise of his free, unchangeable, wise, and holy will. Yet God, in his foreordination, is not the author of sin, nor do his decrees negate the will of his creatures, who act with the power of willing choice in accordance with their nature. His ordaining and governing all things is compatible with his creatures' moral accountability, such that God never condemns a person unjustly. Therefore, all persons are responsible for their actions, which have real and eternal consequences mm. man there's a lot packed that in there packed. It, it, it'd be worth noting you know i'm reading it from the statement um and maybe we can put this in the show notes or something but if if you're a, a member of a Road church or a regular attender uh this is you have access to this statement yeah. and we would highly recommend you either have a hard copy which you get on amazon or a pdf which you can get online and just to look at it and see all of those statements have almost every other word is footnote is yeah. footnoted and those footnotes link down to the bottom where there is scripture after scripture after scripture. So that's helpful because there's a lot of claims being made there in that paragraph. And we want to make clear those aren't just coming out of abstract thoughts. So right. maybe, Ryan, help us. What are some of the claims mm. being made in that paragraph? Yeah, right off the bat um, is, is the claim that from all eternity, that's the opening phrase, which speaks to when God. Mm acted in, in these ways in eternity past, before creation, before human history. Which is just a phrase that means before time. Before Bo- time. Before it all. When it yes. was just God. That's right. God alone, the uncreated one, and nothing else created. God sovereignly ordained all that exists and all that occurs. So that, that phrase there, sovereignly ordained, it speaks to his kingly authority and his power over everything. Um, but, but that verb ordained mm. also describes um, the role that God has taken in creation and governing over his creation, that he, he didn't just kind of like the deistic view of the clockmaker winding up the clock and setting it loose, and, um, or he, he didn't just put things in motion and then kind of see, well, let's, let's see where this turns out. God acted purposefully. Mm. Um, he has ordained all that does exist, and all that occurs. 
and and then that sentence ends in order to display the fullness of his glory. Right. So, so there's a claim not just is God ruling over everything. Um, you know, people have views of kind of like a fatalistic view. Whatever is, whatever will be, will be. Um, Say la vie. Yeah, th- this is not fatalism. This is a, a a personal, wise, loving father acting intentionally and sovereignly in order to accomplish a great and glorious goal, namely to display the fullness of his glory mm. or the joy of his, his people. So th- there's a ton packed into that, but really what we're dealing with is God's sovereignty over all things for his glory. And that, that's why the heading, God ordains all things for his glory. That's right. It's helpful to that phrase for, to dis- in order to display the fullness of his glory, because that it really shows his aim. Mm-hmm. The goals of it all is, is moving in that direction. And we just, that phrase pulled from a lot of scripture, but most, most clearly in Ephesians 1, mm-hmm. um, that he did all this to the praise of his glorious grace, kind of shows that and highlights the God, you maybe have heard us say, the God-centeredness mm-hmm. of God. He is after, in all that he does, his own glory. And we might, well, that for you and me, that might be egotistical and narcissistic. Mm-hmm. For God to be anything other than that would be for him to not be God. Whatever right. that thing is that he would, would, be, would be God. So it's helpful to keep the, uh, the goal and the intended aim right. in focus. Absolutely. And then that next phrase, that these plans of God, these, uh, the purpose in all of it, they are actually efficacious, mm-hmm. meaning he doesn't just wish them, like you and I might have right. plans, right? I've got High hopes to build a chicken coop in the back of my backyard <laughs> at, at some point. And whether or not that actually comes to pass is, is still up for debate. But God is not that way. Yeah. His plans always are brought about because he is the one bringing them about. Yeah. And when you put it that way and you contrast God and his plans with finite humans like you and me and the plans we make, and we, you know, we, well, the best laid plans That's right. <laughs> uh, don't always come to fruition. Or, you know, we, we make our plans, but scripture says God guides our steps. Mm. He, he rules even over our plans. And we know the, the futility and the frustration of making plans and things not going according to plan and yeah. things going off the tracks. And then we're trying to deal with that. Um, that is not at all how scripture reveals God acting in history. He's, yeah. he's not just constantly in like cleanup mode or right. trying to, you know, get himself out of some pickle that he got himself into. No, he's, he's acting purposefully. He's revealing his plans and his, his intentions, even in um, events where sinful people are acting sinfully and doing wicked things, God is accomplishing his, his plan. So you know, Psalm 115, uh, our, our God is in the heavens. He does mm-hmm. whatever he pleases. Um, Ephesians 1 talks about God works out all things according to the counsel of his will. So he is, he not only has a will or has a purpose or a plan, he's also working it out. He is accomplishing it. So his plans are efficacious. Right. They, they happen. He does exactly what he means to do. And as Nebuchadnezzar declares in the book of Daniel, after he encounters the living God through Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, um, nobody can stay his hand or mm. say to him, what have you done? Nobody can thwart God's plan. Yeah. There, there's not a powerful king or potentate on earth who can stop God and get in his way and say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt your plans or yeah. mess them up. Can't be done. Yeah. An- another 
well-known phrase is no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that, that's also not how it is with God. It's yeah. not that he had these grand, glorious plans and then and Genesis 1 and 2 are him unfolding and then right. all of a sudden contact with the enemy. Oh, crap. Now, yeah, now what? what? Yeah. It, 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 we know that because of texts like, like Revelation, is it 13, 5, where uh, in Revelation, there's that, that famous phrase from John, as he says, uh, and those names that were not written. Mm. So the people who bowed down to the beast were the names of the people who were, whose names were not written mm. in the book of the life of the lamb that was slain before all time. And so in eternity past, there existed a book that had names in it. Yeah. And that name, the name of the book is the book of the life of the lamb that was slain. slain. So the slain of the lamb was in the mind of God as a purpose from before the very creation. So it's not when, when the serpent walks into the garden or slithers into yeah. the garden that we get God reacting, right. but rather this is all happening under his watchful, that, efficacious eye. That, if, if you have not thought about, meditated mm-hmm. on that, reflected on that, that, that will deepen your uh, awe and wonder at the glory of the gospel yeah. just to consider the, the lamb who was slain. That was not God's, you know, plan B to plug a leak, fix a problem, right. clean up a mess. That, that was God's purpose from before he ever acted to create the world. It, it, it just it makes you marvel that this was his plan to display his glory and, and namely the glory of his grace yes. in saving sinners through the death of his son. So it is incredible and it raises all kinds of questions. <laughs> I was just about to say, you say, if you've, if you've never pondered that thought, do so. And my, my thought was, and as you ponder it, write down questions that will come up as you ponder, because there will become questions like, how yeah. does that work? Yeah. And I mean, that, that next line in the statement that, that um, those efficacious plans, the scope of them yeah. are all encompassing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's universal. It's not just over the big macro uh, peoples and nations, right. but also over our own individual lives. Yeah. And that, especially was well, as humans, as sinners, and probably as Americans, we, get, we are uncomfortable with the thought of people having that type of control oh, yeah. over us. It, it makes us squirm a little. And so the, the bigness of God and his uh, bringing all plans together, which looks like apparently it includes things like the fall, mm-hmm. And the control and the kind of authority that he has apparently over my own individual life, those two coupled together raise some questions. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why there's an important line right in the middle. These decrees, so we can speak of God ordaining mm-hmm. all things. We, we can speak of God's decrees mm-hmm. that he, he has commanded and, and what exists comes about at his decree. They are an exercise of his free, unchangeable, wise, and holy will. That's absolutely essential as a starting point. Yeah. Um, if you don't start with the affirmation that God is ruling over, sovereignly ordaining all things according to his wise and holy will, you'll look at what's going on and be inclined to question, maybe God isn't wise. Mm. Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe he's not good and righteous and holy. Um, so starting there is, is crucial. And, and then there's this qualification. Yet God, in his foreordination, which is another way of speaking about ordaining things beforehand, right. um, he's not the author of sin, nor do his decrees negate the will of his creature. 
who act with the power of willing choice in accord with their nature. So that's getting at two things. Right. If one, it's affirming God is not at all the author of sin. He does not do evil. He does not do wrong in any of this, although he does sovereignly rule over all things, including human history, which is right. full of human sin. Exactly. People doing evil things. And, and I think one of the big questions that comes up as we wrestle with these things, for a lot of people, this is very you know, problematic and makes us uneasy because it, it relates to that question of our will. Are we just robots? Are we just puppets? So is God a puppet master pulling the strings, um, you know, steering the robot with some remote control? And, and does that mean we have no will, nothing we do has any meaning at all? Right. And this is saying, no, God does all that in a way that does not make him the author or doer of sin. Right. And it does not uh, negate our will. The fact that we are creatures who still have a moral will and act in morally responsible ways so that God can actually hold us accountable for our actions. Right. That, <laughs> does that add up? I, well, <laughs> Make sense? <laughs> totally. Good? Okay. Crystal clear. Now, that, that phrase, these decrees are an exercise of his free, unchangeable, wise, and holy will is, is a really critical thing because this discussion always comes up with the sovereignty of God and our free will. Right. And the statement is saying yes, because later on it will say, yes, we do have actual free will, mm. but we have to start with God's free will. Because I think what ends up coming up in people's hearts, in my heart, when mm. I consider this stuff is, well, how come, where is my, why can't I decree my free will? Yeah. Like, I want, I'm holy, I'm wise, I know what's best my for My autonomy. Me. Exactly. My freedom. But that comes up against a lot of scripture. Yeah. <laughs> like, in God... We, we have our, we have, we are, uh, what is it? We live and move and have our being. Mm -hmm. He is holding all things together. We just, in order to magnet and magnify my free will, I have to mm. downgrade God's sovereign control over the very, our very existence, the breath in our lungs, the, the, the fact that he is holding the universe together just by his very word. Yeah. Um, that we have a hard time calculating how, uh, it must be that God's will is one way, and then at some point, my will has to take over in order for it to be yeah, free. He has to hand over the reins, right? Let go of the steering wheel, and right. let us take the steering wheel. Was it you yeah. that told me the story once? I can't remember. I, th I think it was, I forget who told me the story of a professor or a teacher or something that um, who is very not this. Of, no, we do have free will, mm. and he picked up a uh, a marker. Like threw it on the ground or, or let go or, or did something kind of crazy and just yelled, I did that. Yeah. That's me. That, yeah. That's my will. God did not make me do that. I, so free will, being able to act freely means being able to do that or that. And yeah, I, I chose to. I am the only determiner of those two things. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Th this really forces us to uh, come to terms with what scripture reveals about God mm. and his bigness. Um, and, and that's really at the root of this. In Romans 9, when Paul is dealing with some of these very questions, uh, he talks about a, a potter having the right to do whatever he wants with a lump of clay. We just don't tend to think of us and God that way. Mm. Like God is a potter who has the right to do whatever he wants with the clay, and we are the clay. Yeah, <laughs> we, we tend to think <laughs> that we, we would like it to be a little bit more like on the same level with him where we have right. some equal say in all of it. Um, so it, 
it, it does challenge how how big is God actually? Right. Um, because we, like you were just describing, we do not have independence in terms of our existence. Uh, Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and praise, for you created all things, and by your will yeah. they exist and were created. Mm-hmm. Everything that exists, exists by God's will, which means he alone is independent, does not depend on anyone or anything for his existence, That's self-existent, right. That's right. entirely free. We and everything else we know exist in a dependent state, mm. dependent on God for everything that we have. So like you're saying, even though God has given us a will and we are able to make choices and to act, we still act within this realm of dependence on God. Exactly. Like if it pleased him, we could just die right now yeah. and, and be done. And there, yeah. there's nothing we can do about that. I think we've mentioned it before, but that, that famous Vantillian, Van, Cornelius Van Til's diagram is just so helpful for this category yeah. of every, it's been told, he's a famous professor at Westminster Theological Seminary. Being of every class, he would go up to the whiteboard, well, then a chalkboard, a blackboard, mm-hmm. and, and draw two circles, one big, one small, and one with a big C and one with a little C, one being the creator and one being the creation or the creature with a sharp line in between the two. Mm. And that is to draw out the creator-creature distinction. We are not God. Yeah. In the creator is one. He is one of one. He, he, this is helpful coming off of our last uh, podcast on yeah. this, on the who tri- is God, the, the triune God. God. Yeah. He is the only one like him. And all, everything, everything else. Yeah, including all, the most glorious, powerful, brilliant, supernatural beings like angels. And Satan. And Satan. Exactly. And us. And us. And all the, all the nefarious all the actors in the world. We are in that lowercase c creation. And there is a sharp distinction yeah. between the two. And, but there is relationship between the two. God has revealed himself to us and he is upholding that creation, mm. uh, as scripture says. So there is a relationship and we are not the ones that are independent. We, right. God is not dependent on us. And, mm. and our, our tendency, my tendency in, in, this, in this thinking is to conflate the one over the other. Yeah. Um, we got to keep our order here or else yeah. we're just going to get really confused. Yeah. I, I, I've just, I did not um, grow up with a reformed view of God. And when I discovered reformed theology, what I've told people when I talk about my story is it, it was like my view of God just exploded and suddenly mm-hmm. God was so much bigger than I had ever thought. And the crazy thing was looking back, I never at any point prior to that as a Christian would have said, oh, I, I think that God is small. I, I believe right. in a small, weak God. No, I, I always believed that God was you know, omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient and all of those things, but I, I was very uncomfortable with some of these things mm. and looking back realized, wow, I, I really had a boxed in view of God because I was not comfortable with God being sovereign over all that occurs in his creation, over everything, the affairs of nature and history right. and our individual lives. Right. And when I came to see that's exactly what scripture teaches, it was like God was suddenly incredibly big. Yeah. And R.C. Sproul actually has made that point in answer to the question, what is reformed theology? All the distinctions you could touch on regarding reformed theology, what kind of sets it apart, R.C. Sproul always said, it, it really comes down to the bigness mm. of God. And, and he said it, it, it's kind of a paradox because on the one hand, um, Reformed theology does not teach anything about God that other Orthodox Christians 
would deny mm. when it comes to God's character and his it's attributes. Helpful. Everybody agrees with that. But he pointed out, when you get down the road, other traditions tend to kind of work back and, and then box God in. So when you come to things like man's free will or um, the affairs of history and, and evil in the mm. world, then you kind of work back and go, okay, well, maybe God doesn't really have anything to do with this, and maybe God wasn't so involved in that. Um, whereas Reformed theology insists God is at the center and circumference of everything, and, and we work out from there to understand everything else, right. uh, which is why Reformed theology just has such a huge view of God. Yeah. Um, so that, that has been really helpful to me. I think why this becomes... So I teach high school Bible and, and have in the past, and, and I also have been a teenager before growing up in a Christian home. It, this seems to be one of the first real uh, theological obstacles that uh, kids who, especially kids who grew up in a Christian home, mm. kind of come up against. Because what this does is orients my view of God and then brushes it up against the suffering I experience in mm. my life. Mm. Um, because what we're saying here is, yes, maybe, Ryan, let's just take for granted here now that, yes, God is as big as you say he is, mm. as, as we say he is, as mm. this statement says he is. What about all the things in my life that seem to be falling apart around me? Yeah. Where is God in all of that? Um, the, sick, the diagnosis, the, the sickness, the loss of job, the loss of a loved one, right. um, you know, fill in the blank, suffering. Mm. Um, surely God isn't in that right surely god isn't the one doing that yeah um so yeah, that that was exactly there was a time in my life when um when i would have taken the opposite side of this and argued against this kind of view and my main concern was trying to get god off the hook mm. for those very things right um until i realized in scripture god's own word god is not trying to get himself off the hook for those things he is revealing himself as the sovereign God over. He's not a very good client for the defense. Yeah. For the, for the defense. <laughs> That's right. Um, so I, I think uh, commonly you'll hear people use language or, or people say they're more comfortable with language rather than saying that God decreed or God ordained or God planned or purposed or willed. Right. Um, it, it's a lot more comfortable to say that God allowed right. these things to happen, which still gives a category for like, well, he's, he's in control, but, right. but he allowed it. Um, and, and I'm comfortable with that language also, so long as we clarify what we mean and what we don't mean. Right. Um, because what does it mean for God to allow evil or suffering in my life? Let's, say, let's take Job 1, for instance. Yes. Job 1 and 2, right? Yeah. Incredible famous prologue to suffering a, in Job's life. Exactly. That, if you, if you go and read those two chapters and then ask yourselves, because I would be comfortable saying God allowed that to happen. Right. Right? Well. What, what do we mean? Yeah. So we, what we don't mean would be, think about a goalkeeper um, in you know, the sport of soccer or football. hockey. Football. Uh, football. I don't think we have goalkeepers, but <laughs> okay. um, <laughs> golf, oh, you know. That's better. That's yeah. Better. <laughs> uh, picture a goalkeeper diving to block hmm. a shot. Uh, we say that a, a goalie allowed a goal. How many goals did a keeper allow? Yeah. God does not allow evil like that, because in that case, you have a goalkeeper diving to block it, but he, he just gets beat sometimes. No matter how good he is, sometimes the striker's right. better. The shot was too fast. It was so well-placed. It was just out of reach. And, and if you think of it, of it that way, that's really a terrifying view yeah. of God. 
if you're living your life and God is diving to block as much as he can and he does a great job, you know, he, for the most part, he's got a 96% save percentage or something, but every once in a while shots just get by him. Um, mm. But he didn't mean for them to get by. That would, that would be pretty scary yeah. because it means at any moment tragedy could strike you that God, he just couldn't get in front of it, but he really meant to. Right. That's very different than a, a allowing in the sense that God allowed on purpose because he had some reason for permitting it. He gave his permission. Um, and in that case, then the comfort is, well, God would not permit these things unless he had a wise and holy and gracious reason to do so. So right. even if I don't know what that reason is, if I trust that he's good and wise and gracious and loving, then I can trust that those must be his purposes right. even in this. And that's what we see in, in the book of Job. If you go through that and you make a list of who or what caused Job's suffering, you, you actually get a pretty extensive list. You get, a, you get a lot of, there are a lot of people responsible for a lot of things. Yeah, That's there right. were um, Sabians and Chaldeans who were raiding and marauding and stealing and looting, mm -hmm. who killed Job's servants and stole his herds and flocks. So you've got evil people doing evil things. You've got some natural disasters, right. a tornado that rips off, rips apart the house that Job's kids are in and they all die. Uh, there's a bolt of lightning that starts a fire that burns up his flock. So you've got natural disasters. What we would say, well, there's no moral evil here. Who, who sinned or who did anything wrong? Right. Sometimes accidents happen. You, you've got Satan himself. There's a, point, hold on, there's a point there. What would insurance companies call that, <laughs> right? What do insurance companies call when some crazy contingency doesn't have, like lightning strikes, the, they call it an act of God. Yeah. Just interesting little note. Interesting. Keep Sorry, keep going. Uh, you've got... Satan himself, so an evil spiritual force who is involved because yeah. Satan comes before God and points out, you know, Job only loves you and, and trusts you because you've made his life so easy, but if you take away all these blessings, he would curse you to your face. Um, so Satan has evil intentions to discredit God and ruin Job's life, and Satan is a real actor in all of that. And then in back of all of it, you have God mm -hmm. ruling over all of it. Satan can't touch Job unless God gives permission. The first time, God even sets parameters and says, you can take anything he has, just don't touch him. And then the second time, when Satan comes back to God, God says, okay, this time you can even touch him. And so Job is personally afflicted but in, you can't in his take body, but you, can't, still, uh, but you can't kill him. So God right. still sets limits. So it, it, I think it does help to see all those things can be true. There can be natural disasters and tragedies. There are evil people in the world doing evil things. There are real evil spiritual forces. And yet none of those things is happening outside of the plan and purpose of a holy and wise and good God. And so even though Satan has his own purposes and the, the bandits have their own evil purposes, God is acting in Job's life right. for great and good and glorious purposes that come out, come to fruition in the end of the book. And I suppose we, we have to ask, you know, we do all each have our own suffering stories. Um, and we all ask ourselves, how, does, how is God in all this? Mm. I, I think we do need to ask the question, what is the worst thing that's ever happened in human history? Mm. Is, it, is it my suffering? You know, to me, it's the worst, but, right. but you know, let's just try and... Yeah, the worst, the evil, worst the of the worst. Greatest sin ever committed. And I think we would, I think if we were honest, we would have to say it is the unjust murder of the Son of God. That is the that's worst. Right. That's where God looked defeated. It's where it all looked like it was at its at the end. I mean, yeah. our church is called Emmaus Road Church, and think of the disposition of the disciples on the on the Emmaus Road. Yeah, they were downcast because their hopes had been shattered. Yeah, they felt like God had fallen 
the one that they thought would do it all had, had fallen. Mm. And yet, in Acts chapter 4, Peter and the apostles get together and are, are experiencing persecution after the resurrection, after Pentecost. They're experiencing persecution. And yet they pray something, something like, they, they quote Psalm 2, Why did the Gentiles rage, the people's plot in vain, the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers gathered together against the Lord? Against this annoying, there are against real against God. There is real evil actions taking place. Real enemies of God. And then they say, For truly in this city, they're in Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, two other characters, mm-hmm. nefarious characters in this story, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Those are all characters mm-hmm. who, if to ask the question, who put Jesus to death, we could say all four of those. Yeah. Acting from their perspective, they would say. Freely, they were doing exactly what they wanted. Exactly. Carrying out their evil intentions. Their motivations were theirs. Their, yes. their actions governed by their motivations. are They, they yeah. are really doing what they want to do. Yes. And yet Peter then goes on to pray. These characters, um, whom both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Incredible. And then they pray. And now... Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak with all boldness. So they reckon with the sovereignty of God Mm. in the murder of Jesus. And they say, everything happened by your hand. Everything happened according to your plan that you had set, that you had predestined, you had set from beginning of time. And then they they don't take the, well, whatever will be, will be. Right. (laughs) They ask God to give them boldness. And they... They don't, it's not a, the, the human responsibility and God's sovereignty is not a problem. They, no. they accept it, they see it, and they act. Yeah, and, and that's really what, where the statement of faith ends, that it, it's affirming, this paragraph is affirming God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. That those two things are compatible. They're not at odds with each other. Right. We, we see them both in Scripture. So we would die for either one of those truths. Human beings are responsible for their actions and will give an account to God, and God is just when he punishes sin. And God is sovereign over all things. We also see that I mean, ultimately, like you just said, in, in the death of Christ, we see that in the story of Joseph also, Genesis yes. 50, when um, Joseph can say to his brothers, you meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. And this thing we'd always point out is that the verb is the same. They right. meant it. They planned it, intended it for evil against Joseph. They yeah. wanted to do him harm. They were acting willingly, freely to destroy him. And yet God was... Um, superintending everything for completely different purposes to bring about the, the deliverance of the very people who are acting evilly, that right. they would be preserved through a famine and become the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, just incredible. God was, he meant the very same things. God meant for Joseph to be sold into slavery, falsely accused in Potiphar's house. And he really experienced prison. that. He really experienced that suffering. Lived it wasn't it like yeah. he had some, some <laughs> like super holy yeah. through it all thinking, oh, this has no, to it be. It was affliction. It was really yeah. awful. He didn't have some and book God that meant he could it. just look to. And he really did walk through all that suffering yeah. and probably asked similar questions that yeah. all of us ask when we walk through suffering. The difference being that in the end of it all, he could look back and see all the, all the evil intentions yeah. from, from my brothers to Potiphar's wife to, uh, to whatever. Those things ultimately were for my good, yeah. and God intended them for my good. He intended that suffering yeah. for my good, and, and that's just a hard, to, hard thing to experience, but a truth that can really give hope. Yes, absolutely. Only by faith is that comforting. If you don't that's trust right. the character of God, 
um, it, it just creates hard thoughts about God, embittered thoughts about God. How could he be doing this to me? Because you're not trusting that God is good in the midst of that, that he's wise, that he, he has right. gracious purposes. But by faith, it is a tremendous comfort. And like you just pointed to in Act 4, it is the source of comfort and hope for those disciples in prayer. When they face new threats in their day, they can cry out to God because he's sovereign over those things. Why else would we pray to God if he couldn't do anything about everything that's going on in the world? So it's exactly why we seek him, yeah. cry out to him in our affliction. So there's a ton there. Oh, man. I'll end with one more example. I was just thinking on um, last fall, Adeline had to go into the dentist and she had to get a cavity filled. Apparently they do that to baby teeth. <laughs> but that poor sweet Adeline, she had to go sit in a scary big chair and, and get a shot in her, in her gums and trying to explain to her going into it, explain to it at then a four year, a four year old trying to explain to her what's about to happen. Like, even if I could explain to her all mm. the things about plaque and about, you know, the science behind it, how it's, how it's, there's a cavity, there's like yeah. a hole in there. Like if I showed her <laughs> diagrams and try to explain it all, so then she actually has to experience it. Yeah. Right. She actually has to sit Still there hurts. and it hurts. Yeah. And I'm right there next to her saying, it's, it, it's okay, I'm right here, and this is actually for your good. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether I explain to her the science behind it right. all. What got her through that is my dad loves me. Yeah. My dad, I trust my dad. I'm present, or he's present there, and it's going to be okay. And that really is, but like you said, by faith, by union with Christ, and, and mm. by the empowering of his spirit, we can have that disposition that, no, even in no matter come what may, I really can trust God in mm. all circumstances. And then He promises that that He will keep us yeah. in perfect peace. Who who is when we are when our minds are stayed on Him and His promises, and we think on Him and trust in Him. Um, there's just tremendous promises in Scripture for the suffering. That's right. That doesn't downplay the reality of God's sovereignty over yeah. all things. Yeah. So, woo, I'm glad we did these in two parts because <laughs> we that's a lot on just the first so we will tackle the next section in our next podcast so thanks again till next time thanks for listening to make and multiply if you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency you can reach out to your missional community leader and if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at emmaus road visit us online at emmausroadsf.com